Well, good morning, Brown Corners Church. Uh, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And today we're beginning a new series that we're simply calling Every Day. Uh, we want to talk about um, the everyday ways in which God can use us and God calls us to be disciple makers. And so as we begin this study, uh, we wanted to start off by asking the question, um, really making sure that we have it as, as clear in our minds as can be, uh, what is a disciple? If we're going to talk about disciple making and we're going to talk about how to, how to uh, lead others into this discipling relationship with Jesus, uh, it's, it's important to have a definition down. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4 for that definition. Before, but before we do any of that, uh, let's just take a moment and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it is our blessed privilege to be able to open up your word and study it this morning. Even though we may not be able to enjoy the gathering uh, of, of our entire church family to study the scriptures and, and to, to worship today, Father, we have the privilege of being able to um, worship you with those who are closest to us. And God, we want to ask that you would help us to take advantage of this to use the things, the songs that were sung and, and the words that we study today as a springboard for further conversation, um, for further discipleship in our homes, in, in our community. God, we love you, and we, we just, we thank you that you loved us enough that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place. What a wonderful message that we have to hold forth in, in this difficult time. We also thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself to us through your word and that, that we have the freedom and the privilege to be able to open the scriptures and study. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us. May your truth come alive to our minds and to our hearts today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is the weather has gotten a little bit nicer and, and uh, everybody has been tired of being inside and they're now kind of emerging uh, out, out of doors and uh, trying to connect a little bit with people as much as they're able to. We've noticed a lot of people in our neighborhood and in the lake that we live near uh, taking uh, walks, walking around the lake. We've seen more people this spring than we've ever seen out there going for walks. Um, it, it's, it's a great thing to see. I remember when my family and I lived in China, we discovered early on that people walk everywhere there. Uh, people are constantly, everywhere they've got to go, they, they, they don't mind walking. And when we moved back to the States, we realized how, uh, how, how quickly we are to jump in the car, even if we've got to go a block. Um, no matter how, how, the, how short the distance, we'll, we'll drive there as Americans. Uh, and, it, and it's great to just... Um, be out and about and see more and more people walking. You know, there's a reason that Scripture uses uh, the image, the, the, the metaphor of walking to refer to our Christian life. It actually comes through in several different ways in the New Testament. In, in um, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells the Christians there to walk together in unity. But Jesus, as he called his disciples, the, the prevailing terminology that he used was to follow him. The idea was that they would walk alongside Jesus. 
You see, Jesus was not taking his disciples or making his disciples in a classroom. He wasn't taking them to a a school where they would learn and and sit down and take notes and have tests. The, The discipleship that Jesus was involved in with his 12 was that of everyday walks, the everyday stuff of life. They walked with him. They talked with him. They witnessed and they, they watched him. They watched him do the normal, everyday things. Just like we talked about last week uh, with the table. Jesus is calling us to be and to make disciples in the everyday stuff of life. Uh, but as I said at the outset, we have to answer the question, what is a disciple? And uh, the definition I just want to be able to uh, offer up to you is this one. It's a I got it from a book that I'm reading with our staff called Disciple Shift. There's a lot of definitions out there, but we really like this one the best. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. I love that. It captures who we are supposed to be. It captures what's supposed to be transpiring in our life. And it captures what we have been called to do. In fact, our passage today in Matthew chapter 4 uh, uh, is, a, is a picture of this. And we're going to look primarily at one verse, but I kind of want to read the, the whole paragraph to give it some context. So it's Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 18 through 22. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. It says, by, while, while they're walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers... Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, and immediately, immediately, They left the boat and their father and followed him. As we think about the first part of that definition, we hear the phrase uh, of the disciple, first of all, is one who is following Jesus. Following Jesus. He calls out to these disciples, these fishermen, future disciples, these fishermen, and he says, follow me. The earliest designation of Christians, uh, even before the term Christian came about, was those of the way. Believers were referred to as those of the way. The the way was referring to the way of salvation revealed by Jesus. Remember, he talks about a narrow path. Those who followed Jesus were those who were on the way with Jesus. And over and over again, In the Gospels and in Acts, a follower of Jesus is referred to as a disciple, a a pupil, a learner, a student. And as we see the disciples coming near to Jesus, they hear a call to follow, a call to orient all of their life around Jesus. And over and over again in the Gospels, you see those who want to follow Jesus, but yet they want to kind of hedge their bets a little bit. They want to have an out clause. They want to be able to have a safety net. Well, I'll follow you if, or how about I take care of this stuff first, Jesus, then I'll follow you. 
But the, the call to be a disciple is a call to be all in, to orient all of your life around Jesus. If we stop and think about this for very long, this can become a deeply convicting thought. To think about our entire life revolving around following Jesus. Stop and think about it for a moment. It completely reorients your priorities. It shifts around those things that are important to you. You begin to question the things that I'm spending my money on, the things I'm spending my time on, the things I'm in, investing my energies into. Are these the kinds of things that a follower of Jesus would do? You see, for those who followed Jesus, it was something observable. It was something that could be seen. Jesus said in John 14, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. We hear in those verses that those who love Jesus will be those who keep his word. Our lives, like it should be able to be observed in the way that we live and the way that we act, that we're disciples, that we're followers of Jesus. Those fishermen that day heard the, word, follow, heard the words, follow me. And as young Jewish men who had been raised in, in Scripture-teaching Jewish homes, they, they knew what the rabbi was asking. They, they knew that they were supposed to leave everything and follow him. But you see, doing so comes at a great cost. When Jesus invites us to follow him, he doesn't, he doesn't hide the, 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 um, the, the language or the verbiage about the cost. It's not tucked in the fine print at the bottom of the contract. You see, our, our oldest son is a year from graduating high school, if, I mean, if they ever even go back to school, who knows what they're going to do. Um, but he's already getting college things in the mail and uh, getting calls from colleges. And you know, when you go to one of those college recruitment or college fairs where there's a bunch of different schools up, they're all trying to make their pitch. They're all trying to put their best foot forward. And they're, they're giving you candy and they're telling you how awesome dorm life is. And they're trying to sell you on uh, what kind of scholarships are available. They're, they're trying to recruit you. They want you for the team. And, and they want to do whatever they can, pull out all the stops to let you know how special you are and how, how, uh, how wonderful it will be to come to their school. You see, Jesus never put out that sort of a, a, a promotion. It was never like, come join Team Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true. Jesus talked about things like giving up your life, taking up crosses, taking a narrow path. And being rejected by people who are closest to you. That was his recruiting pitch. Following Jesus comes at a great cost. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. 
It's the other way around. It's Jesus who calls us to follow him. But he calls us to count the cost. He calls us to take a good, close look at what we're really going to do. To listen closely to what he is calling us to do before we follow him. The disciples here in this text heard the call to follow Jesus. And they listened and they responded. What do you do with those words? What's your response to his call today to follow him? You see, maybe uh, up until this whole virus thing, maybe you were a pretty faithful church attender or even, you know, a once a month kind of a person. Maybe you would call yourself a Christian. Most people around may not know it, but uh, you signed on the dotted line. You prayed a prayer at one time. But I want to ask you right now, do you follow Jesus? Have you heard his call? Have you counted the cost? Have you casted your nets down to follow him? Secondly, not only is a disciple someone who's following Jesus, uh, but secondly, a disciple is someone who's being changed by Jesus. Being changed by Jesus. Notice in verse 19, that next phrase. He says, follow me and I will make you. That's interesting language that I never really stopped to think much about. Notice that, that he's not calling them to clean up their act first before they follow him. Now, while there is some prerequisite consideration that Jesus calls us to have, he says, he, he tells us elsewhere to count the cost. Is this what you really want to do? But notice, he, he doesn't tell them, okay, well then, you need to do this and this and this and this first. You need to take care of these sin issues. You need to get rid of this in your life. You need to stop, stop that habit, and then you can follow me. Notice that he is the one who is doing the changing. I will make you. It's Jesus doing the work. It's a beautiful truth. The New Testament teaches us. I love what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. You see, as we behold the glory and the goodness of God. The more that we spend time with Him, the more He begins to renew our mind. We talked about that a few weeks back. And when our mind is renewed, our heart begins to change. And as our heart begins to change, our life begins to change. And this change will be evident. I love the story in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John are brought before the religious leaders, and, and they had heard the teaching. These leaders were, were dumbfounded, and, and, and they, they couldn't figure out how uh, two fishermen, two ordinary average guys, were making such an earth-shattering impact on the city. It says in Acts 4.13 that they, per they perceived that Peter and John were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And the verse goes on to say, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
I love that sentence. They recognized that they'd been with Jesus. These disciples, these ordinary, average, everyday, common men, they'd been fishermen, laborers, and they were literally changing this city because they had been with Jesus. You want to be changed with, by Jesus? Be with Jesus. Spend time with Him. Now, when we say that, that we're being changed, a disciple is one who is being changed by Jesus, it doesn't mean that uh, uh, you can sit back in your easy chair and just expect to be zapped with um, uh, holiness. Like uh, we were talking about his staff this week uh, about the movie The Matrix, how you could uh, plug in and just download uh, a computer program and all of a sudden you would know uh, jujitsu or whatever uh, Neo in that movie could learn just immediately, languages and, and skills just like that. That's not how sanctification works. There's not a, 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 an app that you can download and all of a sudden you're, you're holy and, and, and you're completely sanctified. This is an ongoing process, and the Holy Spirit uses means. So while it's, it's God in us doing the work, the Holy Spirit is also using means or disciplines that we have in our life, and He's taking those and, and using them to fan into flame the holiness that God wishes to create in us. And, and you know what most of those disciplines are. It means us spending time communing with God through prayer, like like getting quiet before Him and talking to God, and not just reading through a list of prayer requests, but, but talking to Him like He's your Father. I love listening to people pray who understand the concept that Jesus is their heavenly, the, the heavenly Father, that God is their Father, and through Jesus, they can come near to Him. Like the Scripture says, they go boldly into the throne room of grace. And I love just hearing Precious saints, just talk to God with that familiarity, that, that, that heart that, that just knows Him and longs to speak with Him. Holy Spirit also uses us taking time studying the Word of God, digging into the Scriptures. One of the things that you may have become aware of just so vividly during this time where we've had uh, just so many different trials uh, that come with the isolation and, and the uncertainty that we've faced. And maybe you've acutely realized how important it is that you know how to study the Word of God. You see, anybody can and do a couple-minute devotional. Anybody can read a, a, a verse, if, if you're literate, even have it read to you with an app on your phone. But to spend time studying and meditating upon the Word of God, that takes time. It takes energy. It takes focus. Asking God as you study that the Holy Spirit would make it come alive in your heart. We're being changed by Jesus. We're communing with God through prayer. We're personally studying His Word. We're looking for other opportunities to draw in truth, good teaching, whether it's through podcasts or great books. Listen, we've had time on our hands. I hope that, I hope that we're not just content surfing the web right now or... Uh, 
fiddling around on social media. I mean, I hope that we're taking time to read truth, first and foremost from God's Word, but then from other places as well. It involves learning to apply the Word of God. If we're going to be changed by Jesus, we don't just read the Bible and walk away. We don't just study a few verses and then close our Bible and begin the tasks that we have to do. No, we, we take time and ask God's Spirit to, to bring these truths alive. And then, you know, when we do that, God's Spirit begins to convict our hearts of stuff that, that maybe we weren't aware of, attitudes and behaviors or thought patterns that, that God says, hey, Jeremiah, this needs to be dealt with. Hey, look at this. Look at this. we, we got to take care of this before we can move on. And we are taking time to be still before God in allowing His Spirit to apply His Word and convict you, and you come before Him in repentance. He begins to change you. This whole process of a disciple being changed by God involves these disciplines. There's others as well, having redemptive conversations and fellowship with God's people and times of fasting. And There's a lot that we could go into. A disciple or a follower of Jesus is someone who is being changed by Jesus. He says, I will make you. He longs to transform your life. Do you know that? And the great thing is, is that he has the power to do it. I don't know about you, but maybe during this time, maybe you have felt stuck. Maybe you have felt frustrated. Maybe, maybe some of those sins have come front and center before you, and in the, in the normal busyness and noise of life, you've been able to push it aside or drown it out a little bit, and, and now God has, has forced most of us to have times of stillness, times of quiet, times where we can't, can't be quite so busy, and in those quiet moments, perhaps the Spirit of God has been gracious to you to begin to show you areas that He says, hey, we're going to deal with this, whether you want to or not, because I love you, and I'm not going to leave you the way that you are. I pray that, that you're allowing him to have that work upon your heart, that you're submitting to Jesus in these days. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus. Secondly, someone who is being changed by Jesus. And finally, someone who is committed to the mission of Jesus. Notice that final phrase in verse 19. He said to them, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. You see, there was a purpose to his calling. Jesus wasn't just looking for buddies to hang out with. He wasn't lonely or, or you know, have some kind of uh, self-centered, proud complex where he just needed people around him speaking words of affirmation. No, Jesus had a reason for them to follow him. He wanted to change them, and then he wanted to send them on mission. You know, so often as a church, we can gather together, and, and we, love, we love worshiping together, and we love studying the Word of God together. But we must not forget that, like, gathering and the things that we learn, it's not an end in and of itself. It's a means to going out on mission. Jesus said, you're going to follow me, and I'm going to change you, but then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you fish, not for actual fish fish, but for people. He took a word picture that they would have understood well. You see, their whole life revolved around 
catching fish. Their whole livelihood was wrapped up in a good night's catch. They knew how important it was to put their whole effort into bringing fish up in those nets. And Jesus said, now I want you to direct that effort, and I'm going to call you on mission to be fishers. And so he calls us then on this mission with him. There's a great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a little bit lengthy. It's, it's uh, verses 15 through 20, but I want to read it here in its entirety. The text says, And he died for all, that those who, might, those who live might no longer live for themselves. You get that? It's not about us. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's the change that God begins to draw in our hearts as we follow Him. The old has passed away, He says. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Listen to this. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making God, making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That text reminds us that we are all called to be fishers of men. You see, He reconciled us. You know what that word means? It's two parties coming together and being reunited when before there was a division between them. And the, the Word says, the Word of God says that we have been reconciled to God. And then, if that wasn't enough, He says then He entrusts to us a ministry of reconciliation. I love that, I love the words that God chose to put in that passage. Because so often, I think, we as Christians, we, we've got this, this messed up view of sharing our faith, of making disciples, where it's like, a, like this fearful thing, this obligation, where we say, oh, yeah, I haven't shared my faith with anybody in a while, and I've been feeling kind of bad about that. I probably should tell somebody just to kind of ease my conscience a little bit. Well, that's such a wrong way of looking at making disciples. Like, God says, here's the good news. I have reconciled you to myself. Like, y'all were really, really wicked. You're all evil. The Bible talks about it in all kinds of different ways. We were God's enemies. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We wanted nothing to do with Him. Our rebellion could not have been greater. This is our, the state you and I were born in. And God comes to us in His love, and, and He says, 
I want to make things right. I want you to be with me forever and ever and ever. But there's only one way this can happen, and it means I have to kill my son for it to happen. But I love you that much that that's what I'm going to do. And Jesus died in our place. He rose again so that we can be brought together with God, so that we can be reconciled to God. That is the good news of the gospel. And now God says, here, this same mission I have been on ever since the garden to bring you to myself, I'm now inviting you to participate in the mission of reconciliation. He says, we've been entrusted, entrusted with the message of reconciliation. That's what it means to be called as a fisher, to be called a fisher of man. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says once again, he says, every moment and every situation challenges us to action and obedience. We have literally no time to sit down and ask ourselves whether so-and-so should be considered our neighbor or not. We must get into action and obey. We must behave like a neighbor to him. I want to ask you right now, are you committed to the mission of Jesus? And if so, who is God calling you to go fishing for? Who is God calling you to bring the message of reconciliation? You see, as we talk about discipleship, and that's, that's, that's next week. This week is a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to make disciples. And as we think about going on the mission of Jesus, that's, that's where we're headed, this making disciples part. And we've, we've done such a number on this because we've separated, like, like, like evangelism is going out, like, I don't know, when I was a kid, I don't know if you ever, if your church ever did this, we did, like, some door-to-door, like, handing out tracts. I remember going to the mall in Grand Rapids one time and handing out tracts to the people walking the mall early in the morning. Uh, there were people that were like diehard walkers. They got five or six tracts as they came around. Um, and, and, and maybe, uh, maybe your idea of evangelism, maybe you remember, uh, you know, you've seen street preachers on TV or maybe even in person. Um, uh, but for many of us, it, it, it conjures up pictures of awkwardness and forced conversations and pushiness and maybe even arguments. But the kind of fishing that Jesus calls us to is to go fishing in the everyday stuff of life. Uh, you look at Jesus and how he, he drew people in, and it was as he was with people. We talked about last week as he sat down and had a meal with a tax collector or prostitute, or, or, or sitting down next to a lame person and looking them in the eye and having a conversation and, and just loving them. It, 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 being, being on mission, being committed to the mission of Jesus doesn't mean that you have to have these well-crafted presentations. As we'll talk about next week, it just means loving people in the everyday stuff of life and continuously pointing them to Jesus. I want to close with a, a story from a book I was reading. It's called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. 
And they talk about discipleship and what Jesus' first followers would have heard. And one of the, the parallels that they draw in this book is that of shepherding. And of course, Jesus himself does this over and over in the New Testament. God has, has done it all the way throughout Scripture. And uh, they write in, in their book here that shepherding in Israel is a wonderful metaphor for this kind of discipleship. In many countries, sheep spend their lives in fenced-in pastures where they spend their time grazing and milling about. You see, many Christians seem to think that the Great Commission is a matter of getting sheep into the pen, inviting people to accept Christ, the, the high point of their spiritual lives. But you see, in Israel, where grass has difficulty growing in the arid soil, sheep must know their shepherd, following him obediently from pasture to pasture. There in Israel, shepherding is a much more active task. Judith Fain is a doctoral candidate at the University of Durham. As part of her studies, she spends several months each year in Israel. Well, one day while walking on a road near Bethlehem, Judith watched as three shepherds converged with their separate flocks of sheep. The three men hailed each other and then stopped to talk. And while they were conversing, their sheep intermingled, melding into one big flock, wondering how the, the, the three shepherds would ever be able to identify their own sheep. Judith waited until the men were ready to say their goodbyes. She watched, fascinated, as each of the shepherds called out to his sheep. At the sound of their shepherd's voice, like magic, the sheep separated again into three flocks. Apparently, some things in Israel haven't changed for thousands of years. These authors go on to say, just like the sheep, what distinguishes us is not so much the pen we inhabit, but the shepherd we follow. Some sheep come running as soon as their shepherd calls, but some struggle to obey his lead, going astray whenever temptation strikes. It takes a lot more energy to follow a wandering shepherd than to be cooped up in a pen. But we, we are called to be disciples of a rabbi who is always on the move, one who wants us to go with him, making disciples to the ends of the earth. We need to learn how to recognize his voice, to go where he wants us to go, and to serve and imitate him so that we can share his good news with the world. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to hear his voice, to go where he leads. As we think about being disciples, it entails all of us, our whole being, following him. Does that describe you this morning? Jesus is still calling, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Will you respond to his voice, the, the voice of the shepherd this morning? I pray that you do. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear the voice of the shepherd. 
May we be men and women who are quick to listen, quick to follow, and faithfully go on mission to be fishers of men. God, we we need your grace to do that. We can't follow you. We can't be changed. We can't be committed to your mission all by ourselves, by our own willpower. The Spirit of God must change us from the inside out. So God, I pray today that you would change our hearts. And Lord, if there's obstacles that are between us and hearing you, between us and following you, would you convict us of them today so that we might repent and turn back to the shepherd. We might follow, that we might be faithful disciples of you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to close with a doxology from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. May God bless you.